Welcome to the second episode of the East Side Show. I'm your host, Sam Santos. I'm a journalism student uh, at TMU in Toronto. And uh, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Hello, I'm Garrett Rackman. I'm also a, a journalism student at TMU in Toronto. It's nice to have you here. Nice to, Thanks for nice to be here. So I was just looking at your Instagram like like a couple minutes ago, and I saw the pictures from Brookfield Place. <laughs> I just want I just want to tell you that's such an underrated mall. I love the I love the ceiling. On my favorite. It's my favorite stop in the path. It's. Uh, it's actually really neat. Like the guy who designed it, Santiago Calatrava, he was he's actually a really, really famous architect. So yeah. it's kinda cool to see something that was supposed to be his that's one of his designs in this city. And fun fact, the uh, George Very building, the engineering building, was originally meant to be designed by Calatrava, mm-hmm. that architect. But Caltrava, he's he, he is very notorious for going ridiculously over budget, like ridiculously over budget. <laughs> so he so the building TMU went, Oh yeah, hell no, this is way too expensive. <laughs> and so really only the base was created. Right. So the reason they have those really awkward doors facing the street towards the DCC sure. that really shouldn't have no right to be there, it's because they were working with like the half that was already built and they basically built a building on top of like the frame from the original structures there's like quite a few malls or mall adjacent things in toronto like that like brookfield place where it's sort of under an office tower Mm -hmm. do you know maybe you can expand on that because i don't really know but is that something intentional that they did or did it just end up being built that way the path uh i don't really know the history of the path very well I do know that it seems like a lot of those things were built, were designed kind of to connect to the path. Okay. Like, it's supposed to be like our underground city, essentially, like our commuter walkway. It does come in clutch in the winter. Oh, it sure does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of, you know, I don't really, unless it's like this kind of weather, I don't, I'm not really crazy about walking above ground. The other issue is, like, the financial district is, you know, typical very classic piss poor urbanism like right. half the sidewalk is usually closed and like you know you get like a, a little construction fence around the like I, I put a video on Instagram because I was so pissed about this but they put a construction fence around the sidewalk button mm-hmm. and you have to reach through the fence to push it I it saw was that. I so saw that. Ri- profoundly ridiculous <laughs> and kind of sums up everything that I find profoundly ridiculous about this city's urbanism <laughs> i've seen uh pictures of downtown toronto like in the i want to say the 70s the 80s mm-hmm. and it's where you know you would recognize office buildings and uh, condos being nowadays it's just parking lots like seas of parking lots that's yeah that's and it's it's we've we've come a long way from then i guess you could say like i there's a lot of there's a lot of discourse in in urban design around um car dependency mm-hmm. and you know, having parking lots take up so much of space in North America, and maybe you, uh, being from Oakville, where there's a lot of you know car car dependency, <laughs> if that's fair to say. Right? Yeah, that's fair. Um, do you think there's any redeeming qualities to that uh, in terms of how it interacts with suburbia, or is it well, completely negative? Well, here's the thing. That's that's actually a really interesting question, but you know, you got to understand the history of like car dependency like when the automobile first came out it was like holy shit like this 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 new thing and 
And, and so eventually we just slowly, slowly, slowly started building more roads and building more highways and building more until eventually we get to where we are now. And, you know, now we're in a process where like a lot of people, A, cannot afford cars, B, you know, public transit, that's, that's kind of, that's a whole nother conversation, mm -hmm. but like, you know, and, you know, public transit isn't really great is really all I have to say about that, like in Oakville or Mississauga, et cetera. Sure. And also, you know, you got climate change where like, you know, you got all these emissions going into the sky. So yeah, I do think there was a time where maybe that could have been like good, but right now it really needs to be walked back because right. like it's, it's kind of unrealistic to continue this car dependent way. Like it's unsustainable both ecologically and just really socially like, I agree I agree we one thing we can say about Toronto um, mm. is we kept our streetcars yeah because a lot of a lot of cities in America and Canada tore up their streetcars which I think is a shame because I, I personally like them mm -hmm. and I have fond memories of getting on those older models that they used <laughs> oh, to have oh yeah those were awesome <laughs> <laughs> awesome for people like us yeah <laughs> nerds <laughs> yeah 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 I <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a transit nerd. I don't know everything, but I, you know, I, I enjoy looking into those kinds of things, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and another positive thing we could say about Toronto in contrast to other places is our bus system isn't terrible. Mm -hmm. The frequency isn't terrible. When you look at wait times in, in places like, say, Ottawa, say, London, Ontario, places like this Ooh. where you're waiting 30 minutes for a bus, okay. even Durham, uh, yeah. there's bus lines in Durham where, you know, it's yeah, rough. Those are not great. I, I remember, this is my best shitty transit story, if my cousin, uh, Brienne, <laughs> is listening to this, you know what I mean. So, there was a period of time where I was volunteering with kids in Etobicoke, and uh, my cousin set, proposes, hey, why don't we take the bus back, and it's like, I think it was the My Way, the Mississauga transit thing, and so we get, all, so we get to the stop, and they're like, obscenely late we get on and this woman goes to the tri driver and keep in mind she's been waiting at the station the entire time i have to go to the bathroom now in a rational society we'd just say yeah well too bad we're going but the guy <laughs> the guy stays there and, and waits for this woman to be there for and she takes like a good 10 15 minutes that's, and we're delayed for that that's and, very mississauga and yeah and we like hit every stop and it was like we were so late and I, I was like, yeah, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. Reliability is an issue for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, look at a place like Japan, right? With their, oh, their, their bullet trains. They there. are a machine. If Japan. they are 30 seconds late, it's a catastrophe. It's, oh it's, my it's goodness. world ending. The world ends. Yeah. And it, it, think about our, our, I guess, closest equivalent would be the go train commuter system. If they're 30 seconds late, that's, that's a success. Yeah. Well... Here's the thing, when I was a, when I was a child, I used to think you know hey the go train I guess this is the best we can do, and then I went to Holland for the first time, and I rode on their bullet train and I was like, whoa, we're pathetic. And I also went, like the thing where it's like you know you're on an express train yet they still slow down for every stop, even though you're on an express train, that's kind of unacceptable. <laughs> Same with the. I had the same experience when I was in New York City, and I experienced the New York subway line for the first time. Yeah. I honestly do hear people 
go, you know, of going to the Netherlands and coming back here and being like, wow, their transit is so much better. I, there's this there's this YouTube channel called Not Just Bikes, and I find him maybe a little pretentious, but he has some good things to say about transit, and he has lived uh, in Holland, and um, just about, and biking is a big thing there as well. Oh yeah, it's nuts. And we don't have, I think, as many bike lanes here as people would like. I mean, we have some. Um, you know, and biking downtown is a safety issue for a lot of reasons. Like there's some, there's some irresponsible drivers here as there is everywhere else. But I can't, I personally can't imagine biking downtown. Yeah. It, you know, here's one of my, uh, slightly more controversial urbanism hot takes, which, which is, you know, I don't really care if there isn't a bike lane, you should stay off the sidewalk. Like, I've, I've gotten roasted on Twitter by, like, urbanism cycling bros about this, but it's like, no, as a pedestrian, I, I hear you. I'm also dealing with the lack of safety, and I don't need to be dodging you while I'm walking down the street. Like, there's there's definitely some toxicity in the urban design community. Oh, for my sure. goodness. The architecture community also has some toxicity, but that's, like... You get these traditional architecture accounts, and really, they, they don't know anything about architecture, really. It's really just this dog whistle of, you know, architecture was bad, got bad when, you know, the Jews and the Muslims came in, and it's like, buddy, shut up, you're <laughs> ruining my community. Is there, so you, go, so you go on a lot of walks, you see a lot of buildings around here. Is there anything, um, since you started doing that, any, anything architectural in particular you would say stands out? as being near the top for you. Oh, man, I could really drop another controversial hot take. I am in love, and this is something so many people would disagree with, but to them I'd say, you know, it's okay to be incorrect every once in a while. I love the Robarts Library at U of T. I was going to ask you about that So much. It looks so cool. I, 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 a lot of people always complain, oh, it looks like a peacock. Yeah, that, that's part, that's kind of the point, and I love it. You know, I think, I don't, I don't know, I, I have a friend who might be able to uh, confirm this, but one of the Resident Evil movies, I believe, briefly had the Robarts Library as a jail for zombies. I could see that. And I was like, my, my, my knee-jerk joke is, you know, really every university building is kind of a jail for zombies in a sense. But, but like, I, I thought it was really cool to use because it has this very dystopian kind of odd vibe to it. that And it really stands out on a campus filled with a lot of traditional architecture. And I love that traditional architecture. Don't get me wrong. But, man, I just love that building. I just do. That's a great point because it does stand out. And so I was meeting someone there. This was a couple of weeks ago. I didn't know where on campus it was, because we don't go to U of T, right? So how would I know? I get out of the subway station at uh, Spadina, I believe, and I look around, and I see this big Batman-looking building. Yeah, <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> There's no way that's not right? Yeah. So I like, I, I agree with I agree with you. I agree that it could be a controversial take, but I, I like I like Roberts. I, I occasionally, when I give directions, I always say, oh, turn at the turkey-looking building at U of T, <laughs> and they always know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, I mean, like... The other really controversial university building I'm looking at while we're on the topic is OCAD, the OCAD building. It, I love that building. I, I, people always say, oh, it's, it's kind of too silly, it's kind of weird, but you know, I feel like it's an art college, so it's kind of supposed to be like that. Right, yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I 
think it's appropriate for an art college to have something like that. Would it be as appropriate in, say, TMU, say, York? Maybe not. But I think it fits It fits what they do there exceptionally well. Yeah. I think I mean, it's interesting. Like, if it was, like... Yeah, that's a bad example. It would also do really well as an engineering building. Right. It's kind of a neat... But let's, say, but let's say it was, like, the... For like the faculty of good, faculty of English, it would look kind of doofy right. as a faculty of English <laughs> building. It, like I'd be kind of like, oh, I still kind of like it because it's kind of cool. But it's, I get what you're saying. But like as an art college, and it's just the one building in the art college, I, I really approve of it. And another thing I really like about the OCAD building is it really does a great job in integrating public space into the design. Absolutely. Because it's lifted above this little parquet, right? And then there's the little public park to the side. And I love sitting there. I love going there. I love walking around there. When I'm on my walks, I usually use it as like a place to sit down and kind of take a break. You know, there's a Tim Hortons uh, near the faculty of, and not sorry, not the faculty, the hospital. And I always go to there, get a tea. Maybe not today, but... Um, and I'll just sit there and just drink my tea and just enjoy the architecture and... I really enjoy that about that building. Like a lot of universities haven't really done that. Yeah, yeah, it's really unique. Um, there is another sort of building in, in Toronto that's a breeding ground for architectural hot takes, and you had to know I was going to ask you about this, but the ROM. Oh, the here stuff. we go. <laughs> I saw this coming a mile away. Um, here's the thing. The ROM crystal is an awful building. <laughs> I hate it. it. Here's the thing. It looks like... Like, I think you might have noticed that I'm not really, like, a full-on, like, trad architecture bro. And if I, like, I, I love traditional architecture, but I don't limit myself to it. But I think if you're going to do facadism, you need to integrate it. The ROM crystal, that was uh, Daniel Liebeskind. He's done other buildings like that, too. And it, they some of them look kind of ridiculous. Some of them look kind of cool. I, I, I'm not going to say I'm really a big fan of his. Okay. It's not really my kind of thing. But, um... More of a Frank Gehry guy, you know. Yeah. But anyway, the uh, the ROM crystal kind of looks like a media. I've always said it looks like the board cube from Star Trek crashed into an old building. And, like, here's the thing. The inside isn't really great either compared to the older. Like, when I'm at the ROM, I just try to speed run the, the crystal just to get into the older building. Because they got those really uncomfortable benches. The rooms are shaped really weirdly. For a while, you know, ice would fall off the top and hit the street. It, it was just a general disaster, and it looks awful, in my opinion, too. Yeah, I don't have any strong opinions about, you know, the it as a whole. I don't really have a dog in that fight. I'm not an architecture guy. But mm -hmm. I will say about the interior that you mentioned, I don't like the interior of it. Mm -hmm. I think as a, just as a... Um, visitor of the museum. It's not my favorite part. Yeah, it's kind of sterile. It, yeah. it looks really awkward and with the room shape and all that. It's just not my... So so we're not the biggest fans of the no, crystal. No, no, we're not the biggest fans of the crystal. <laughs> um, also on Instagram, I saw Roy Thompson Hall. I've seen a couple uh, things there, but just from an architecture standpoint, I really like that building. Um, and the so, so it's very different from other theaters inside. The layout of the seating is um, circular, really. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting how they um, accommodated that with with the design of the exterior that they chose to and sort of integrated that. Um, 
I, I really like that build. I've looked at the uh, floor plan of Roy Thompson Hall. I've never been inside it, per se. Mm. I call it, I've nicknamed it the Juju. <laughs> I, I really, I do, I love that building, though. No, but, um, you know, I think that, like, as theater design evolved, it used to be, like, pure square. Always. Always pure square. Because that was how it was, and that's how we knew how to do it, right? And, you know, I'm not really an architecture acoustics expert. I'd, I'd love to learn more about that subject. But I feel like as we slowly figured out how to do more eclectic building shapes, like circular buildings, like that, we slowly started going more different with our theaters, slowly creating more different designs, like the Opera Bastille in Paris might be another example. Mm. Like it, it, and, um, you know, Roy Thompson Hall, it's just genuinely really unique compared to other theaters. I, I was in another... I was in a... Uh, of one of the older theaters, and I really, really enjoyed everything about it. Let me uh, check what it was called again, just so I don't end up talking out of my ass sure. here. It's uh, this, this is the thing. I didn't really po post it. it. It was one of the older ones. I think it was. Uh, it was one of the older ones. Yeah. Forty uh, Second Street was playing there. So, if any of you remember like the name of that, I've been there before. I watched Come From Away there. Mm -hmm. um, you could say that uh, sort of return to incorporating circular designs into uh, performance spaces is kind of returning to something that we used to do a long time ago. You know, the Romans and the Greeks used oh, to yeah. do that with their amphitheaters. Um, I, I don't, again, architecture is not my uh, forte, but I do like Roman architecture and I appreciate the fact that there's a lot of buildings that they did that are still standing. Uh, today with minimal refurbishments and stuff like that. Um, a lot of buildings in Rome and uh, you know in the Vatican and just throughout Italy really and it, uh, it's a testament to the Romans you know their understanding of of architecture in a way that um, other civilizations maybe didn't have. And um, their use of arches is something that people talk about a lot. Oh, yeah. Do you have any strong opinions about Roman. So I was in Rome a yeah. couple years ago, and it is, it is quite mind blowing to be honest with you. Like uh, when I was in the, uh, oh man, I always mix these two up because I was in Rome and Greece. Yeah. But when I was in the Pantheon, I'm going to assume it's that and not the Parthenon, which I think isn't the one in Greece. <laughs> but uh, I believe you're right. I always mix those ones up. But uh, if we're wrong, I'm sure someone will let us know. But the Pantheon, it. It, the engineering of the Pantheon is mind-blowing when you look at the uh, when you look at that and you think you know oh they didn't have cranes oh they didn't have the you know they didn't have all these this equipment that we have now and yes it is the Pantheon I just googled it but uh, they um, but it's it's quite mind-blowing when you think hey they didn't really have the equipment and really any knowledge of like acoustics or any of that and yet they still did this at roman churches ancient roman churches have phenomenal acoustics like the echo of the priest at, at the head yeah. you know it carries through and like that is something that like you know people were studying how to do in theaters yet the romans they mastered it all these years back and I find that just truly fascinating. I agree. It is fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I really like the, the history of the architecture behind and churches and, and cathedrals and stuff like that. And, you know, and these were buildings that took what used to take and sometimes still do take centuries to mm-hmm. complete. Um, I forgot the name. There's, there's a couple in Germany that were under construction for like well over 200 oh, years. Oh, yeah. If you, if you want the, like the peak example of that, the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona has been under construction since like... It, it, there's been multiple generations <laughs> that have gone through the construction of the Sagrada Familia. I've heard the story in, in basic forms about uh, Gaudi and how he wasn't able to see his vision completed. Well, you know, the fascinating thing about the Sagrada Familia, this is something I always kind of come back to with the Sagrada Familia, is there was a coalition of architects that wanted it destroyed mm-hmm. when, when Gaudi died. Uh, I believe Nima- I ca- kind of called him the Council Against Fun. I believe Oscar Niemeyer was one of them. Um, let me let me just double check this. I'm not telling my ass, but uh, there there were a bunch of people who did you know essentially want this building torn down and replaced with something a bit more modern. George Orwell really? also called the Sagrada Familia. One of the most hideous buildings in the world. Come on, George. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. This is the guy who wrote 1984, so I figured he would have, like, a more... I've, yeah, I've seen pictures of not only the exterior, but the interior. Fascinating. Really cool stuff. The way, um, in the original designs, he uh, chose to incorporate nature in a lot of ways and to inspire um, certain, certain design elements of that. I think it's really cool. Um, I need to get, so some podcasts, I know <laughs> in particular the Joe Rogan podcast, he has this dude, Jamie, that just sort of sits there and Googles things, so the, <laughs> the guests don't yeah, have to check. Need, I need to get one, I need to get a Jamie. Yeah, if anyone do. wants to be a Jamie, I won't pay you, but it'll, it'll be fun, so, so we don't have to sit here on Google. Yeah. Well, you know, trust me, I, I, this was from a... That was from a documentary I watched in Scrap Familia, so... Um, but we... Uh, I don't know. I've never been to Barcelona. I would love to go to Barcelona. I, I'm, I, I don't know. I was already really paranoid about pickpockets in Rome. Mm-hmm. And I hear Barcelona is, like, extreme well. mode when it comes to that. So, like, I guess I'd have to break the fanny pack out, which is fine enough. Yeah. <laughs> is there... Hmm. Well, you want so you want to go to Barcelona. Is there a city that, um, just for uh, architecture appreciation purposes, you would also like to go to? Maybe more so. There are so many uh, that I would love to go to. I have never been to Venice. Mm. I've never been to. I'd like to go back to Chicago. I've been to Chicago and it was amazing. But you know, I'd love to go back if only so that I can have deep dish pizza at Lou Malnati's again. <laughs> um, I I have. If you want American cities. You know, oh my god, this is a study. I'd like to go to this, these two cities to study of like what not to do. Houston, Los Angeles. Houston, I hear bad things. Houston is god awful. It's like, okay, so we're gonna build all these highways around the city. It's like, no offense to people who live in Mississauga or Vaughan, but it's like Mississauga or Vaughan, only now it's like blown up to extreme scales. Right. Like, it's like, you know, you're not gonna do well as a pedestrian in Houston or LA. LA is particularly bad for traffic. Mm. But anyway, so as for cities, I'd also like to go to just generally because I like the architecture there. This is interesting, but I've always wanted to go to Iceland mm. because you know they got the uh, 
the church that nobody can pronounce. <laughs> that no one can pronounce anything. Of them. In, in, in you know, Icelandic. it's yeah. uh, but you know, if if you're into architecture, you you know the one I'm talking about. Um, but you know, I'd say one of the coolest experiences I've ever had with architecture while traveling. I have stayed in three Frank Lloyd Wright houses in an really? Airbnb. That's it, very cool. It was so cool. Uh, one was in Ann Arbor. One was in a town called Willoughby Hills, Ohio, and I, I I've got I've got stories about Willoughby Hills. Oh my God! Willoughby Hills sounds straight out of some book. <laughs> it, it, it's a suburb of Cleveland. Oh, so uh, yeah, exactly so, exactly the opposite of what I just. Little <laughs> tiny tiny town outside of Cleveland, sure, sure. driving distance, and the other one was in uh, it was in a part of Michigan, but I don't remember the name of the town. It was really close to a minor. But it was it was really in the woods, pretty isolated. But they were uh, it was all really cool stuff. The Willoughby Hills. If you want a good idea of what Willoughby Hills was like, I went to this restaurant called the Fire Hall in Willoughby Hills, and I already knew this place was gonna be bad when I when I walked inside. There were all the biker bikes outside at biker bar dive bars. This tangent completely aside of architecture, but biker bars are either really good. Or complete dog shit. There's nothing in between with these rest, these kinds of restaurants. So it, it can be quite a scene. So I go in, and I can tell this place is not great. Like you know, and so I go outside, and it was like a sitcom. The people who were out there, there were like there was like this eighty year old man with this twenty year old woman. I'm assuming a prostitute, either that or a gold digger. It, it, there's, there's no way she was there for like. You know, I'm in love with this 80-year-old. But, uh, but the, uh, the peak moment was I, I'm sitting at the bar, and this guy sits beside me, and he turns over and spits on the floor. And I'm like, I, I know this place is going to be bad. Yeah, and it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a spittoon thing. That, that's actually kind of impressive, in my opinion. This was a dribble. And, and so I'm sitting there like, God, where am I eating? What the hell am I gonna get to? And so, and then I ordered this food, and it was a burger, and it was like a Salisbury steak on a sub bun. I had ne- I had never seen anything quite like it. So that was Willoughby Hills, Ohio. Me and Garrett are putting out a call for actors for our Willoughby Hills sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> come, come soon to your TV. All right, let's 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 talk about let's talk about stadiums. Oh, football stadiums. This is what I wanted to talk about because. This is, people love talking about, people love, you know, being in support of it, and people love hating on them. Billion dollar stadium projects, like let's take uh, Allegiant Stadium, let's take SoFi Stadium, it's not always football stadiums, but increasingly it is, um, that a lot of the times use taxpayer money, mm-hmm. and in, you know, this is this is very recent, but the Oakland Athletics of the MLB, this is a huge controversy, looking to move to Las Vegas. There's no stadium for them in Las Vegas. And, um, they want a lot of taxpayer money. It's the same story again and again. So what do you think about using taxpayer money for these they're cool stadiums, but not that's everyone a, is a football fan? That's an interesting question because, uh, you know, people get really pissed off about they, the they tax do. money. This, this brings us back kind of to the beginning of the podcast with Cal Trava, but when he designed the uh, World Trade Center Transit Hub, this is a train station, but still it's still same difference. He, it was taxpayer-funded because it was part of the, uh, the New York transit thing. Yeah. But Cal Trava, as I said, goes over budget so much. 
So people were so pissed that it was that it was getting so expensive. Like, what the heck are you doing? And you know, I feel like with stadiums, it's kind of interesting because, like, with a train station, I kind of see why. Like, I'd be fine with that. It's because it's like public service. It's pu- public service, but a stadium. Not that everyone debate. That's there's a debate about whether you could consider a stadium public service, right? right. Like for some people. Absolutely it is. For some people who aren't interested in sports, who gives a crap? It's still their, their money, right? So that's... But, that's you know, I don't know. Maybe this the answer is, like, opt-in, opt-out. Mm. Like, but I don't know how you would effectively make that work. And I think that's an interesting point. That's something just, in general, people talk about. They, they want to choose specifically where their tax money goes. Yeah, and I think that might be a good idea because, like, you know, some people aren't really great with... And, I mean, here's the other thing. These stadiums, they all have, like, billionaires backing them. Mm-hmm. So do we really need that much tax money going towards that, right? Like Off the top of my head, I, I, I don't know the specific examples, but there are instances of you know, big stadiums being built with zero taxpayer money and, and the mm-hmm. billionaire funds at all, which is fine. There's no problem with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I There's been talk with the Rogers Center about what they want to do with it. So they just they just renovated it. They're still in the process of renovating it. It will be ready for opening day on in April, yeah. but um it's life it's it's life expectancy is not forever. Mm-hmm. And it's but it's important to the city because the Blue Jays would have nowhere else to play. There's no baseball stadium that's can seat that many people. So there's going to be a question in maybe 20 years, maybe 30 years, where are we going to put a new stadium? Part of me, like, here's the thing, I wouldn't, I am against demolishing the Rogers Center simply because it is very historic in of, like, the engineering standpoint. Like, it was the first stadium with a retractable roof, right? It was, it was pretty wild stuff, and yeah, it is slow as hell in the modern era, and I don't know what you do with it. Maybe I, I saw this really cool thing on Instagram where this, the, the, in Japan they converted a, a state a baseball stadium into housing. Really? Like they took the seats cool. out and they put the wo- windows in and, and the, the baseball diamond was like a public garden. And I thought that was so cool. And I was thinking, hey, Maybe we could do that with all these old stadiums. And also, it's it just feels like a waste of resources to tear down. I think it's interesting you bring that up because with the Rogers Center, that would be feasible because there's already a hotel in it. Yeah. There's also there's already housing in it. So that's that's interesting. I didn't know about that about the stadium in Japan. One thing we do want to avoid with the Rogers Center is having a Stade Olympique uh, situation like they have in Montreal, where mm-hmm. they do have this, you know, at the time. When they built it, it was high tech. Yeah. This retractable roof, and now it's not suitable for anything. But no one wants to pay to demolish it, and it's just kind of sitting there, waiting for something. And no one, it's not really in heavy use. Uh, the Expos haven't played in Montreal for almost twenty years now. Mm-hmm. So you want to avoid a situation like that where no one is stepping up and putting it to use. That's interesting because Montreal. Montreal has a lot of that. Like, have you ever heard of the uh, the airport they have? That uh, Mirabel. Mirabel, yeah. and it's basically I don't know if they've torn it down yet. I they think have. they, but it is basically the place is a bloody ghost town. They built this 
giant, giant, giant airport, and all of a sudden nobody's using it. <laughs> it, uh, it serves cargo cargo plates, but they have two, I believe, two passenger terminals zeroed. I would sit, sitting in. I would love yeah. to like urban explore like the passenger yeah. terminals at Mirabel because that'd be like so surreal to me. Like you know, I always go to airports and there's always like there's always like some guy sleeping on the ground and there's some guy running to catch his flight. And I think in Toronto we need to specifically when it comes to airports we need to learn from that um, with mm-hmm. Pearson and so they wanted to build another airport in Pickering and some people said it's going to turn into a Mirabel and some people said. Um, Pearson is going to be overrun in, in five years, and that hasn't happened. But um, I think <laughs> us as Toronto, we can look to Montreal in quite a different few ways and be like, let's not do that. <laughs> I don't know if building an airport in Pickering is a great idea. Um, we already have Billy Bishop, which kind of serves like smaller yeah, uh, flights. And the people uh, don't want the runways extended to serve jets because of noise. Yeah, and I get, I get that. I, 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 th- I think that they shouldn't extend the runway. But, um, and, you know, some people fly it to Hamilton. You know? Hamilton's an option. Hamilton is really cheap. I, I, this, is, this is something that I really only get from, like, my people I know who do a lot of flying. But, like, I hear Hamilton is a lot cheaper to fly to, to Pierce than Pearson, so they'll just fly into Hamilton. Yeah. And some people, if you want to go really crazy, you can fly into London and... Uh, I mean that that would require you to go to London, which is a problem. But you know, you get outside of that, not, you that's a problem. You're. Uh, I almost went to Western, and I did a tour there. This is a complete aside, and I love the architecture at Western. Really? I love the architecture at Western, but here's the problem: it's got this whole frat bro culture that drove me nuts. Like, the guy who gave me my campus tour was high as a kite. And, and you know, I respect that. I respect that. But it's legal now. You can do what you want. But if you're going to do a job... That frat bro attitude is a, a large reason why people go there as well. Yeah, well, it's, it's not my thing. Yeah, it's, it, it, if you, wouldn't be my thing. Either. If you, like, could clue in with, like, the way I dress and everything, like, it's not yeah. my... <laughs> um, so we talked, about, we talked about Brookfield Place. Uh, that's the first thing we talked about. Yeah. I also want to talk about suburban malls. So there's a lot of discourse around this as well. This is a big one. Um, that through whatever reason, but a lot, a lot of it has to do with Amazon. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that maybe people just don't want to be at these, in these depressing environments. But a lot of suburban malls um, in Canada and the States aren't doing well. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are shutting down. Um, one example I can offer is uh, Pickering Town Center. It's not in danger of shutting down, but they knocked down their Sears. Mm-hmm. Sears is gone. They're putting up condos, and you know I go there all the time, and it's it's not <laughs> it's not, it's not it's not a good scene. Well, it's very quiet. Oakville Place is like that too. Yeah. It's pretty uh, desolate. It's a pretty desolate place. I. Uh, I went there around Christmas, and there was absolutely nobody there, except for I ran into someone I know from TMU. If you're listening to this, you know who you are. Um, but we, uh, but we, it was pretty desolate. Absolutely nobody was there, and this was like the day before Christmas. So I thought that was wild as anything. But here's the thing. I am not really a huge fan of like those premium outlet type 
Sure. They like the, the, the traffic backup it causes in Melton is insane. The parking it's still creating all this emission. Shits, and it's really only good for one season. Like you know, it's raiding. You can't really go to the premium. So I'm thinking there should be a way to like retake the mall in a less car-driven way. Yeah. And there have been examples of this. Like urban malls, like the Eden Center, are kind of like that. Like hooked up to like they, they, like you don't really park in the Eden Center. You don't really unless you do the underground garage or coming in from the sun. Yeah. Meanwhile, Square One is like the absolute opposite. It is this giant, and I'm a big advocate of like, we should build condos on top of Square One. Like, it is such a waste of space. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was, that's, that's what I, you already answered it, but that, that's what I was going to ask you. What is, uh, I guess you could say, sustainable way of using those sort of declining mall spaces as something that's more useful to well, society? And I think that with like dead malls in particular, I don't think that tearing them down, tearing them into like these parking lot driven like Walmart super, I don't think that's the answer. Yeah. I think we need to start converting them into things that help the community. Like, why not tear down one of these malls and turn it into a park? Sure. Why not, um, for like Square One in particular, which is like a large building and it's in an urban area and it's got all this parking, why not build housing on top of it? Like, a lot of people say we should do that, and I think that's a good idea, because, like, hey, um, why not hook, instead of doing all this parking lot lot stuff, why not connect these malls to transit? Why not do all this? And, yeah, I don't know. There, Europe has a lot of... Europe is interesting to me, because they have a lot of, like, older stuff, like, older kind of proto-malls, like... Um, the Galleria in Milan is like the prime example everyone uses. And, you know, absolutely nobody drives in there. Nobody drives in there. You walk there or you take your bike there. And so I'm thinking that can be done in North America if we try, right? <clears throat> For sure. For sure. So we are going to sort of wrap this up with one uh, final point that I think is really relevant to everyone here in Toronto. So there's a lot of demand to move here from other places in Canada, from internationally. Um, the housing market isn't keeping up. No. And our transit, you could argue also, isn't keeping up. Do you think engineering and architecture have an answer for those issues? Oh, that's a good question, actually. There are ways you can do that. I mean, if you, if you uh, think about architecture, less about architecture, but I do think we should be building more affordable housing. And here's the thing, speaking of conversion, you know, I saw this really funny headline uh, from the Beaverton that, that kind of summed up all my grievances with the housing market, which was country um, and going through housing crisis wonders what to do with all these empty office buildings. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, so many people are working from home, so many people are doing this, so many office buildings are empty. Why don't we start looking to try to make some of these these places people can live. Why don't we start doing that? And, you know, I do think that, like, you know, a lot of Nordic nations in particular, yeah. they'll have, they have rules where, like, certain buildings need to have X amount of affordable housing. And I think that is something we need, we should start looking towards here. Yeah. And, I mean, like, I don't think that, like, you know, constant, like, uh, building all these luxury condos 
that nobody can afford that are mostly empty is real is the answer yeah that's that's a that's a big one and uh, I don't know if, if um, so true so I don't I think it was Trudeau that was sort of talking about limiting um, foreign investment and Chinese guys buying up every unit yeah. in a condo. I don't know if that went through. I don't know if it was just conversation, but that would be a, a step in the right direction. I think we need to do that yeah. because it's nuts. You get all these people from like, and this is this is true in like London, UK, like one of the most expensive buildings in London, UK. I remember reading that like this small percentage of people actually live there full time. Yeah. And I think that is ridiculous. We need to stop billionaires from like New York City or China or Britain from buying units and like, oh, I'm in a business meeting here, here, uh, and I'm gonna go into my condo here, and that's where I live for the business meeting. Like, I'm just gonna say, it's just my message to every billionaire doing that. Just get a hotel with the rest of us plebeians. <laughs> Garrett, my last question to you, uh, the ROM crystal in one word. God awful. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for coming on. I, I really you. enjoyed thank that. That, that was awesome. Uh, uh, thank you, all of you, very much for listening to the East Side Show. I am working on producing a few ideas in a more uh, scripted environment and uh, going out into the field and stuff like that. So be on the lookout for that. Um, but again, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time.